2: Okay, greetings from the Pet Buzz studios. How you doing, Dr. Fleck? Doing great. How about yourself today?
3: Well, I'm doing good, but I got to tell you, you know, last week after we finished the show, I stopped by my friend Chuck and Annie's house. And before I got out of the car, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. I saw, no, seriously, the biggest raccoon I've ever seen. He must have been 20 pounds. So, and as you know, raccoons are really nocturnal creatures so when you see them during the day they're either really desperately uh, in need of food Mm -hmm. or they're sick Mm -hmm. and perhaps have rabies it freaked me out so bad especially he crossed the street and went into a neighbor's yard i later found out that the neighbor had big holes in his fence which are now covered with a garbage can well later in the week at night around 10 o'clock i went out to take out the garbage and I saw something skulking away, mm. and I realized it wasn't a cat. It was that giant raccoon. Supposedly there are two of the mm. big ones. That's when I decided, obviously, other to call Florida Fish and Wildlife to get some advice about what to do with this raccoon, because there are, you know, the, there's the creek behind my neighborhood. So a lot of the wildlife that comes into the neighborhood are kind of live back there or back there. But I also decided it's a really good idea. Uh, To have a little bit more nature segments, because when you're walking your dog or your cats out, they're coming in contact with all this nature, Mm -hmm. these animals. So I think it's a great idea. And while we love talking about dogs, cats and, of course, horses, we want you guys to learn more about the nature and the creatures in your neighborhood Mm -hmm. because they can have an effect on your dogs and cats.
2: Absolutely. But
3: now let's kick off the show with the weekly countdown. So in segment four, veterinarian, Dr. Mike Schoonover of Oklahoma State University visits us on the pep buzz to discuss racing horse injuries. It's triple crown season.
2: That's right, three. In seg three, veterinarian, Dr. Sarah Guess, a clinical assistant professor in small animal internal medicine at the College of Veterinary Medicine, Washington State University, joins us to discuss Cushing's disease.
3: and. In two, in this portion of the show, I talk about the celebrity pet buzz. And in Flex Facts, I
2: discuss eye cleaning.
3: And in segment one, watching and listening to the sights and sounds of the many different species of backyard birds is a captivating and rewarding way to get in touch with nature. And this was especially a great stress reducer for me during the pandemic and and still is. I really enjoy it.
2: And it will continue to be, I'm sure. And joining us today to talk about backyard bird watching is Don Hewitt the editor of Bird Watchers Digest and Watching Backyard Birds. Dawn, thank you for joining the Pet Buzz with us today.
4: I'm thrilled to be here, Doc. Thank you so much. And Charlotte, thank you. Yeah, so tell us about what are the benefits
3: of bird watching?
4: Well, as you have already alluded to, um, it can be joyful and fun. Uh, It can be meditative, bringing a sense of and tranquility, and it is healthy escapism. It, it allows us to take our minds off of our own problems and challenges. It connects us to nature and reminds us that we share this planet. It can contribute to citizen science, and so we learn more about birds and bird populations.
3: You know, one of the things that I like about bird watching, it really kind of helped me learn more about my neighborhood and just the overall area and the community coupled with my master gardening. It kind of made me recognize I wanted to put certain plants in my yard.
2: I like it too, because Dawn's tone just relaxes me. Yeah. (laughs) Well, good. Thank you. Where can I go to identify the birds in my yard or my area?
4: Uh, Well, the first thing you should probably do is to get your hands on a field guide. I admit I'm old. Uh, and so I still use a paper book to learn the birds. And of course you can Google the birds of Ohio or the birds of Florida, or the common birds of Florida and you'll get all sorts of information about what birds you're likely to see in your backyard. Um, if there's a nature center nearby they may have a checklist for the birds of your area. And certainly there are checklists for the birds of each state available on the internet.
3: Great. Right. And we also have an uh, Audubon Society. We have hmm. actually one in manatee and one in uh, here mm-hmm. in Florida. So mm-hmm. uh, and one in Sarasota. So if you're lucky, there will be a group that you can go bird watching with once you get like get really into it.
2: She's not old. She's young, mature. <laughs> oh,
3: my God. <laughs> you. You. Like, you never talk about a bird, a lady's age <laughs> or, or whatever. So I'm going to move on. Okay. So let's talk about what I can do to prepare my yard to attract birds, because
4: I think that's a huge thing. Sure, absolutely it is. And if you want to see more birds, you can make your yard more welcoming to birds. If you consider what birds are accustomed to, uh, before the Europeans got here, where I live in Ohio, this was forest, it was all forest. And so if we can emulate nature and make our yards more like what the birds are accustomed to, uh, they will feel more at home there. So in my yard, I've planted a lot of trees, native trees and shrubs and native plants. You can certainly provide bird feeders and bird baths. Certainly in hot, uh, dry conditions, bird baths are going to really draw in all sorts of birds. But also, you know, people think that uh, bird feeding is necessary to help the birds. But really, Bird feeding just brings the birds closer to us. The birds can find their own food in the wild. The real trick is to make your yard as natural as it can be for the birds. Okay.
2: Makes sense. That's really interesting. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I mean, no, I think it's important.
3: I mean, I I usually take the bird feeders and douse them in a bucket um, when I refill them. So, and now because there's so many birds back.
2: And, And maybe after COVID, we're all a little bit more cognizant about hygiene. So maybe, maybe we'll all take care of it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. You had a next question. I do. I do. You know, a lot of pesticides, herbicides, maybe even fertilizer are used in the yard. Is that, is that bad to attract more birds?
4: Well, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that baby birds almost exclusively eat insects. So if we're poisoning insects with pesticides, we're poisoning baby birds. And that's not something very many people want to do. Certainly they wouldn't do it intentionally. But parent birds feed their babies worms and grubs and caterpillars. And so we need to change our mindset about hating insects to welcoming insects, especially natural insects, naturally occurring native insects into our yard.
3: I think you just have to be careful. I mean, I know, for example, I have a lot of uh, milk thistle and giant milkweed in my yard because I want to attract monarch butterflies. So, and the butterflies yeah. get really big. So I want them to survive because monarchs are in becoming an endangered species. You know, and I so think it's kind in, of a in, balance. In all
2: things, you gotta balance.
3: Yeah, that's, you know, that's just what balanced. I was gonna say. Right. Okay, so what other do equipment do I need to bird watch?
4: Well, the tools of the trade are usually considered a field guide and binoculars, but you know, it depends how far you're gonna take this hobby. You really don't need anything to enjoy the birds that visit your yard or your feeders. But you can spend thousands of dollars on a binocular or even more on a good spotting scope if you want to. And then people like me enjoy traveling for birds. I, I've been to many foreign countries just to see birds.
5: Wow!
4: Uh, and so it can become an expensive hobby. But really, you need a way to figure out what the birds are. And that's a field guide or a field guide app or Merlin. It's worth the investment to buy a good binocular.
2: And cool. don't forget, if you get good binoculars, you can see the football game better in the stadium. So that's another. Some
4: point. people care about such things. Yes,
3: yes <laughs> like
2: absolutely. Fleck. He's only saying that because next, his next question is, "Did you go to
3: Ohio State, Don?" <laughs> well, everyone, that was a great interview with Don Hewitt, editor of Thanks Bird so Watchers much. Digest and Watching Backyard Birds. For more information, visit Bird Watchers digest.com you know i love backyard birding and so you know you'll have to keep up and just start getting active and start looking for those birds because you know they'll start visiting daily every single day with the right plants the feeders the bird baths and everything
2: else sometimes we just become aware of something and we recognize how frequently it's there yeah i know so next up celebrity pet buzzer, and of course your favorite flex
3: facts So let's take a commercial break and we'll be right back.
1: You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com.
6: Every pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about we want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tevra Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tevra Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tevra Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life
0: warmer temperatures mean more time outside you have sunscreen for yourself but what about fido according to the american animal hospital association and the american college of veterinary dermatology pets need sunscreen too
6: i love two things sports and my dog chester where i go he goes to the beach to play soccer everywhere We spend a lot of time together in the sun, so I always carry a can of EpiPet sunscreen. So Chester is protected from the sun's harmful UV rays. I just spray it on and I don't have to worry. Chester is protected, so I know my sports buddy is going to be with me for a long time. Thanks, EpiPet.
0: Use EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers, and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Visit epi-pet.com.
3: Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz. As you know, the show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And
2: I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck.
3: Now what you guys love, Celebrity Pet News. You know, in March, amid a controversy and recriminations over misconduct and claims of offensive language by Sharon Osborne, wife of Ozzy Osborne. Well, on her on her show, she had some problems with some co-hosts past and present, as well as This was another problem for her defense of British television host Piers Morgan, who insulted Meghan Markle for her Oprah interview, kind of supposedly triggered racist accusations. Um, So obviously, Sharon kind of parted ways with the CBS talk show The View. You heard about that. Mm -hmm. Just a more controversy that kind of goes with the whole bit of
2: you controversy know, that goes on that today just goes on
3: and on and on with the whole mm-hmm. topic of racism well mm-hmm. anyway more bad luck has soon followed sharon osborne it seems that last friday the former talk show host revealed that her beloved scottish fold you know taylor swift also has scottish fold cats that she named miss olivia benson based on the um you know the series law and order Yeah, Scottish foals are very popular. Anyway, so Sharon's cat Momo has been missing, was missing for about three days. And she went on Instagram and asked her fans and neighborhood followers to help her find Momo, who was last seen in the Los Angeles Largemont neighborhood. And if they saw a sighting of Momo to contact her Well, she shared photos of the cat and she said, I'm praying for my baby. Momo was safe and okay. please repost. If you can help me bring Momo home and, you know, it's really interesting. And she further revealed that Momo was chipped, but wasn't wearing a collar. And she also know the cat is very friendly. But she said that Momo is not street smart like many <laughs> indoor cats. OK, well, as a result of her loss. She still has good relations with her former colleagues. Um, The talk co-host, Amanda Klutz and Carrie Anna Inabe, as well as other pet-loving fans showed support with good wishes, prayers, and encouragement that Sharon get Momo back. And believe it or not, later that night, Sharon wrote that Momo returned home. So perhaps... Her luck is changing. What
2: a nice end to this.
3: Yeah, which Mm -hmm. I thought was really, really nice. Three days and the cat came back and Sharon's happy. And and it shows that she does have support with friends and family who care because people can, like you always say, people can relate to several celebrities when they have the same problems or the same issues with their pets that we do. As we do. Yeah, Yeah, sure. And now what you guys have been waiting for.
7: Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact. Or fiction. Just the Facts, ma'am.
2: You want answers! I want the truth!
7: It's going to take long. You got the time.
3: Flex Facts. So what are you going to talk about today, Dr.
2: Flex? Cleaning dogs' eyes. Okay, that's a good topic. Eyes are so important. You only got two of them. Don't want to lose those senses. They are also prone to attracting schmutz and getting dirty. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A dog puts his nose into everything from soil to garbage to food boils, food boils, boils. food bowls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And the faces of even shorter haired breeds, shorter nozzled breeds, can need routine grooming to keep them free from clump stains, dried food particles, and other blotches. Okay. So Dr. Fleck,
3: let's move on and tell me, what is the ideal time to clean a dog's eye?
2: The ideal time to wash your dog's face and eyes is at the bath time, Don't forget, sometimes you need to do it every day, though. Don't simply focus on his body. Make sure you cover all the ground from nose to tail. However, there are many times when a dog needs a quick touch-up on his face and around his eyes.
3: Okay, so what should a dog owner use in this particular case?
2: Use soft, clean washcloths or sponges that are soft. Moisten the cloth or sponge with room-temperature water. Use just enough water to get the job done. If you oversaturate the cloth or sponge, your dog will feel soggy and may balk at having his face cleaned. You want your dog to feel as comfortable as possible need, with yeah. these procedures.
3: So what should
2: you avoid doing? Paper towels and napkins. Oh, because they're harsh. You know, right? they're they're available so people think they can use mm-hmm. them. When wet, these products can easily shred and disintegrate, and they can be a little abrasive too, by mm-hmm. the way, which will leave small bits of paper in your dog's coat when you're wiping
3: okay so how much pressure i mean should we apply when cleaning around the eye because like you said that eye can get really gunky
2: yeah that's a quantitative issue you want to be gentle but firm use only as much force as necessary to soften and dislodge the bits of food or dirt in your dog's facial fur it's better to make several soft strokes than one or two strong forceful strokes And don't intimidate that with the swipes on the dog.
3: Okay. Talk a little bit about soaps and shampoos.
2: Yeah. You know, in most cases, casual facial grooming shouldn't require anything stronger than water. Mm -hmm. Normally. Remember that you should never use soaps or shampoos that are made for humans. If water isn't doing the job, you can try a little dab or spray of waterless dog shampoo. Notice I said that dog shampoo. Mm -hmm. These products are available at many pet shops and veterinary offices.
3: You know, one of the things I always find out that people are always afraid to get those clumps of gunk out of the dog's eye. What do you suggest?
2: Well, you've probably noticed those globs that can form around your dog's eyes, just like you're saying, Mm -hmm. using a a water-moistened washcloth or sponge, very gently wipe the area around that eye to loosen and remove the dirt or gunk. Mm -hmm. never wipe the eye itself and be sure to approach the area slowly. So you don't startle your dog. Notice I said, don't wipe the eyeball yourself. Never use soap or shampoo near your dog's eyes, because this may cause irritation or even damage the pooch's eye. Mm -hmm. Even if it's tearless shampoo, don't use it around the eye. And as I tell my clients, if you don't take that away, it'll dry up, attach to the skin. And when you do try to remove it, you'll be removing skin.
3: Yeah, I, which a lot is of times you'll see some of these small eyes have like extensive pink around the corners, the inside corners of their eyes. Okay, tear stains is a big problem. Big problem. Yeah, so tear talk stains, about so, tear, talk tear, about
2: tear stains. Tear stains are dark, blotchy areas that form on the hair around the dog's eyes. And cats can get tear stains too. This discoloration is particularly obvious in light colored dogs. The stains are caused when the eye expresses an excessive amount of tears, which react with the bacteria in the hair. If the tear stains are a chronic problem with your pet, it may indicate that there is an underlying medical cause, such as infected tear ducts, maybe even anatomical. You should bring this to the attention of your veterinarian. If routine cleaning with a moist washcloth doesn't remove the stains, you can try solutions that are specifically made for this condition. You can find them at your vet office or at the pet store shops. Lastly, be sure that you follow the directions and don't Touch the eyeball.
3: You know, I think that's really great. A lot of times we buy these products and we don't follow the instructions. And it's really important. It's like with flea and tick products. You need to read, whether you bought the package last month or the month before, it's always a good idea just to refresh your memory, read the instructions on the back because you don't want to spend the money. And then, of course, do something incorrectly. And then you're going to end up having
2: a big vet bill and hurt your dog. What's the favorite phrase that people say? I know how to do that. Yeah. And- all the way to the veterinary office to treat the eyeball. Yeah, Come all on. the way to an
3: empty bank account. Okay. Empty. Anything else, Dr. Fleck?
2: That's all the Flex facts for the week.
3: Yeah, that was a great segment. I'm glad we actually talked about that. Me I think too. it's really important. Too. It's something simple. It's something we deal with every day. Well, anyway, you guys need to stick around because more of the pet buzz very soon. Bet you can't wait for my likey of the week, as well as veterinarian, Dr. Sarah Guest from Washington State talking about Cushing's disease. Stay tuned. Like I said, always more buzz coming up.
6: What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slimpaws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slimpaws for the long, healthy life of your dog.
2: You know, you're listening to the best in Pet Talk Radio. This is the Pet Buzz. It's genius. I like it. I it so I like it. It's
1: the die for. I like it.
3: You know, I always like to tell you something good. Remember that song? Tell me something good. Remember? Well, this story is completely a wonder. This incident took place earlier in the month of South Africa. It seems that Byron and Melissa Theraran are lucky that their seven-year-old Staffordshire Bull Terrier, Jesse, was there to save the life of their 13-year-old Pomeranian, Chucky. So check this out. In harrowing footage caught on the video camera, Chucky falls in the pool as he's walking around the perimeter. (laughs) Okay, at first, no one is around to see him. After a few minutes, Jesse, the younger dog and the bigger dog, comes from the house and begins circling in the pool. and following, Chucky is flailing in the water. Jesse begins to try to grab a hold of Chucky from the pool's edge and remove him from the water. While well, the video doesn't show Jesse's entire rescue, It took the bigger dog about 30 minutes to save the smaller dog. I mean, that's a long time. They're
2: probably exhausted.
3: Yeah, probably. The clip does show the moment that Jessie pulls her older sibling to safety with her teeth. It was only when the couple got home and found the pups covered in water did they check the security video to find out what happened. So I love that story. I do too. And I'm just curious, you guys at home, do you think your dog would try to save another dog, another dog sibling in your house? Well, if so, tell me something good. Tweet, post, or email us at, at thepeppas.com because we want to know. And there's a possibility we could talk about it next week.
2: I bet you there's innumerable cases that it's happened. Sure,
3: it. sure. And I love that. So that's why we always want to know what's going on at your house that's really good. So here's the scoop. If your dog is drinking and urinating more than usual, it could be caused by a variety of reasons. One cause could be Cushing's disease, and our next guest is here to talk about this common disease, especially
2: in dogs. Yes, and I'm happy to introduce veterinarian Dr. Sarah Guess, who is currently a clinical assistant professor in small animal internal medicine at the College of Veterinary Medicine at Washington State University. Dr. Guess, welcome to the Pet Buzz today.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here.
3: So I'm curious because a lot of people talk about Cushing's disease. Tell us a little bit about that and what animals can get it.
5: Cushing's disease is the collection of clinical signs that happens when there's too much steroid in the body and really any animal could get it. It's most common in dogs and the classic form of Cushing's disease that we think about is the dog form.
3: Okay, so that means cats can get it. What about horses or other animals?
5: cats horses i think anybody who has an adrenal gland has the potential to get cushing's disease which would include all of our domestic pets so what are the symptoms just in In dogs Yeah, in dogs, the main symptoms of Cushing's disease are increased urination, increased drinking, just like you said. We also see um, increased appetite and sometimes weight gain. In the later stages, we start to see some hair loss and maybe a sort of pot belly type appearance is what owners often describe to us when they're talking about a concern for Cushing's disease.
3: Are any specific breeds of dogs likely to develop uh, Cushing's disease or some dogs I guess more prone than others?
5: Interestingly, littler dogs tend to get one type of the disease, and bigger dogs tend to get another type of the disease. Um, But the main breeds that we would think about would be miniature poodles are predisposed, as well as boxers and dachshunds. Those are kind of the big three that have been shown in the literature to be overrepresented for Cushing's disease. And um, some studies talk about little terriers as well, um, but those are kind of the main ones that would be predisposed or that would be overrepresented for it. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Are there more than one type of Cushing's disease and are any of these similar to the Cushing disease in humans?
5: There are kind of two main types of Cushing's disease. And one of them I think is kind of similar to the syndrome in humans. Um, The main types of Cushing's disease that we see in dogs, excluding dogs that are taking oral steroids. So if we keep those out of it, the too much steroid production by the body would either be from the adrenal gland itself, where the adrenal gland um, develops a tumor, either benign or malignant, and starts producing a bunch of steroid and causing those clinical signs. Or um, there's a small spot in the brain called a microadenoma That produces too much of a product that causes the adrenal glands to secrete this excess steroid. so it's either coming from the adrenal gland itself. Or from a little spot in the brain that is doing that and it's pretty interesting that dogs can get either of those, but the brain form is more common and I think it's also more common in humans.
3: Okay. Well, if you've just joined us, we're talking with veterinarian, Dr. Sarah Guest from the College of Veterinary Medicine at Washington State University about Cushing's disease. So I'm just curious, how is it diagnosed? How is this disease diagnosed?
5: Cushing's disease is one of my most favorite diseases to work with because it's diagnosed in three main stages. The first is that the veterinarian needs to have a clinical suspicion for the disease, meaning that the patient has clinical signs compatible with Cushing's disease, that increased drinking and urination is are kind of the main ones that we see. The second step in diagnosis of Cushing's disease is to demonstrate that there's actually too much steroid hormone in the body that's happening. And then the third step would be to find out where that steroid hormone is coming from. Is it coming from the adrenal gland itself or is it coming from somewhere in the brain? And um, those three steps can sometimes take a few days to diagnose and work through, but it's really important to get all of those squared away so we know how to fix it.
2: You know, as a practitioner, I, I need to ask you this question, and that is, and let the listening audience understand this too, isn't it uh, quite frequently that lots of times with overuse of of steroids, so maybe with allergies and skin conditions, that, that, the, that a lot of the patients that do develop Cushing's could develop this over a long treatment protocol over periods of years with with, say corticosteroids?
5: Absolutely. Pets that are taking oral steroids for long periods of time can get Cushing's disease where they develop these clinical signs. And so, like you said, as a practitioner, it's something we try to be aware of. I warn them about those side effects. um, And we, at the end of the day, just try to do the best thing for the pet to alleviate the signs and balance those Cushing symptoms that might come with using um, steroids for a long period of time.
2: So is there some value in using some of the alternative medications that are now present for, say, skin issues, skin allergies, particularly for the Cushing's disease problem?
5: I would say so. And I'm definitely a big advocate for the multimodal approach and sort of moving our knowledge forward with some of the newer medications that are out for skin and allergies and things like that, that might yield a better result for the patient without causing all those side effects that we would sometimes see with steroids.
3: What are some of the treatments? Obviously, what type of medication and are they really costly?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. The treatments are for Cushing's disease are dependent on where the steroid is coming from. So is it the adrenal gland that's producing too much steroid or is it this problem in the brain? And there are sort of two main treatments that we can think about. One would be medical management. So uh, an oral pill, um, the main two are called Trilostain and mitotane, And those are prescribed by veterinarians. Trilostain, depending on the size of the dog, as far as cost, maybe anywhere from $50 a month for a very, very small dog to a few hundred dollars a month for a larger size dog. And then the second main treatment option that we have would be surgery to either remove the adrenal gland or some specialty centers can actually go in and do a brain surgery that is um, in many cases, curative for uh, Cushing's disease and actually remove or alter the part in the brain that's causing the steroid production to happen.
2: Well, I hope your students watch and listen to this. this interview.
5: yes. (laughs) Hey, thank you
2: so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz today. What a great interview, and we really do want you back.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I was so pleased to be here. Call me anytime. So for more information about Veterinarian Doctor Sarah Guest, vetmed.wsu.edu. There you go. I'm going to say it one more time, vetmed.wsu.edu. So you guys, we want you to stick around because we're going to find out what country just created a national holiday for their native dogs and... What are common injuries for horse races? I mean, for racing horses. (laughs) Remember, it's Triple Crown season. We'll be back in a Buzzworthy moment.
0: Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin
1: allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy, so I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. <laughs> I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet and his dog Sophie who always had red ears. But not anymore! Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks EpiPet. Developed
0: by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com.
2: I'm petrodologist Charlotte Reed and I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. We are urban, suburban and and country. country.
0: And now pet buzz news from around the globe.
3: So, Hey, let's start this segment by discussing how people spend their time and their money. It just goes to show you what some countries consider a priority. So, Turkmenistan celebrated the first national holiday in honor of its native dog breed, the Alibi. And this happened last Sunday. It's the Alibi is a variety of Central Asian shepherd dog. The large stocky breed is known as the wolf crusher for its prowess in guarding sheep and goats, and is also used to guard homes. Dogs are considered part of the Turkmenistan national heritage and are widely used by many of the traditional herders among its population of 6 million. Now, as a result, the dog is a symbol of national pride in a very self-isolated, self-secluded nation. So last year, it's dog-loving president, Gurbanguly. Berdymukahamadov, <laughs> you No, know, that was a hard one, unveiled a huge golden statue of the dog in the middle of the capital city. Can you imagine a huge golden? And this dog is huge. We're going to make sure we put pictures on our social media channels. Actually, the president even wrote a book about the dog breed hmm. and a poem about the alibi dog. And check this one out. You'll know a little bit more about his politics when I tell you who he gifted with one of these dog breeds. Guess who? Vladimir Putin. Oh, wow. Yeah. He gave the Russian president a puppy for his birthday back in 2017. This year, the last Sunday, the celebrations included a best of breed contest in which the entrants participated in a contest and they wore national dress and paraded their dogs On a colorful stage probably similar to like a dog show would have been
2: a wonderful yeah
3: well the president's son awarded the prize in his father's name during the festivities and although the breed has been celebrated with a national holiday see this is where the kicker is the gold statues the gift of putin their economy is really in the grip of an economic crisis (laughs) but the one good thing that we could say is that the folks there must love
2: dogs cross the board
3: Well, seems as if our next guest is on the line. You know, Triple Crown season is upon us. And that's when really most people watch horse racing. I mean, it's a huge sport,
2: but probably the only time of the year that they do watch it.
3: Yeah. Well, so despite its popularity, you know, horse racing is a dangerous sport, especially for jockeys Mm -hmm. and for horses. And our next guest is going to talk just about that topic.
2: So at the Pet Buzz, we welcome veterinarian Dr. Mike Schoonover, who is Associate Professor of Equine Surgery at the College of Veterinary Medicine, Oklahoma State University. He is a diplomat of both the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, large animal specialty, and the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation, equine specialty. So Dr. Schoonover, welcome to the Pet Buzz. We are really glad to have you here with us today.
7: Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
2: Okay. Talk to us about the musculoskeletal system of horses and what's its purpose?
7: Well, the musculoskeletal system of any animal consists of the bones, tendons, ligaments, and joints. And the purpose is to really provide protection to the internal organs and also um, make it where animals can move around and and, um, contribute to the structure that the animal has.
3: Now, one of the reasons that we had you here is because we we do follow the Triple Crown and we've seen some accidents on tracks around the country. So we kind of wanted to know what are some of the common racehorse injuries that we've either seen or heard about or.
7: Sure. I mean, there, there are a lot of, um, of injuries in racehorses and a lot of them aren't uh, really different from other um, species of animals. Human uh, athletes um, have similar injuries. Um, But what we tend to see in horses um, when they're going down the track at a high rate of speed are the catastrophic injuries. So fractures of the bones, complete fractures of the bones. Sometimes they can have complete um, tendon or ligament failure. Um, But some other minor or less severe injuries can be minor uh, bone chips that occur in joints, minor tendon sprains, things like that.
2: So do many of these injuries happen when horses get bumped or tangled in traffic or trip or take a bad step when racing or are, are some of the injuries a side effect of training?
7: Rarely does an injury actually happen or, or at least initial start of the injury doesn't happen in the race that the animal shows a problem. Most of the injuries that we see are repetitive stress type injuries, so repetitive training Ligaments and and tendons and bones will get weaker over time with that training. And if they're not given enough rest to um, recuperate and for those tissues to remodel, uh, then that that kind of continual use can lead to injury.
3: So my question has to do with track surface. So I guess in a lot of these injuries, like we've seen at Santa Ana, because um, you know we had Mickey on, uh, uh, I think it was last year, and he talked about track service. Can track service be a contributing factor to equine injuries?
7: Certainly, um, and if we knew, you know, if we had all the answers and knew the perfect surface to to race horses on, that's what every that's what every track would have. But you know, when we start having a surface that's really firm and not very deep. Um, the impact of that is, is very, um, stressful for the tendons and ligaments and bones of the horse. If we have a a racing surface, that's really deep. Um, well then that can have a negative effect on the soft tissues, um, of the limbs as well. So, you know, trying to find that perfect track surface, you know, even with, um, with all the, the research that's been done, you know, we still don't know what exactly is the perfect surface to minimize injury.
3: We see so many of these injuries happening at Santa Ana.
2: That wasn't all injuries. I think some of it was infectious disease too. I believe.
7: Well, you know, recently, obviously, there's been a lot of news publicity about these about injuries. But um, looking at the numbers, if you if you go back, there's really not an increase in number of, of catastrophic injuries that are happening on racetracks on a on a um, kind of a year to year basis. Now, one year there may be a few more. The next year, there may not be quite as many, but these injuries are getting a lot more publicity. And so people know about them more so. If they happen during a race, people know about them. If they happen during training, then they may not necessarily hear about them.
2: Sounds like the conditions of any athlete, doesn't it?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting because I was doing some research and it said about two horses probably die on racetracks more or less a day. And then it said, but like you said, the the numbers are going down from a few years ago. They're not as many deaths and injuries as there were like maybe 10 years ago.
2: Well, you know, I think we need to point out too, that we're talking about the triple crown and racing horses, but there's barrel racing horses. There's jumping horses. There's, there's just trail riding horses. They all can get injured. Can't they?
7: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we see, um, you know, all shapes and sizes of horses, all disciplines of horses and there are some injuries that are specific to certain disciplines, um, but ultimately a horse is a horse and they all can have very similar injuries irregardless of what their discipline is.
2: Which kind of brings me up to the, probably our last question about is people working with these horses, trainers working with horses, how can a lot of these injuries and deaths be prevented?
7: Well, I mean, that, that goes back to conditioning of any athlete. You know, making sure that athlete is fit and, and ready for the race and just, you know, making sure there's there's no surprises for the horse um, when it comes to what it's at being asked to do from a performance standpoint.
2: Well, Dr. Schoonover, thank you so much for being with us today. That's really no, enlightening. For enlightening us. Yeah, <laughs> it's really enlightening on. for us on, on so much of this, not just for the race horses, but for the other pleasure horses that people work with. Thank you so much.
7: Thank you guys very much for having me and uh, have a great rest of the week. To learn more about Dr. Schoonover and
3: horse injuries, visit vetmed.okstate.edu. But you know what time it is, Dr. Fleck.
2: Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.
3: You know what time it is, Dr. Fleck. No, it's time to wrap the show. No, no Of course, and no, I know, this was a great no. show. But before we leave, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're going to talk about Addison's disease mm-hmm. and the second jewel of the Triple Crown, the Preakness. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're going to talk about more about cat health because cats have health problems too. And Dr. Fleck, I'm going to ask you to thank our guests.
2: Our special thanks for the guests that joined us this week, Don Hewitt, Dr. Sarah Guest, And Dr. Mike Schoonover.
3: Of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. And if you have any questions, write to us at team at the Pet Buzz. Yeah. And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning.
2: And always remember, it's most importantly that we're here each week. To help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet love. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.